following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Turn with me and your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Today we're going to look at verses 15 through 18, and that's page 858 in the Pew Bibles. And today we are going to continue to examine the remarkable character of John the Baptist and how he stands as a model for all preachers um, of the gospel. So, uh, Luke 3:15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Amen. Let's pray. Father, now as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that your spirit would speak. That you would fill this empty cup with your spirit and pour out yourself on your people. That we might gain wisdom and understanding of your word, of your truth, and that we would gain power from your Holy Spirit to live that truth out. Align our priorities with yours. Align our hearts with yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, we talked about John the Baptist and the strength of his one-point sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Nothing beats a one-point sermon. And this, I think, is a model for all preachers to follow. Keep it to one point. (laughs) Um, John gave a couple of other types of examples for preachers to follow as well. Uh, And Alistair Beggs said, and I'm um, paraphrasing, He says it's hard for preachers to preach on preaching because the people are listening. And they might say, why aren't you following your own advice? And believe me, I share his conviction about this. The people who are coming out to the wilderness to hear John preach and maybe be baptized by him knew that he was not just another ordinary guy. They knew something special was happening. And apart from the weird way that he dressed and and the weird diet of of locusts and wild honey, it was his message that was powerful. It was full of conviction and authority. And people weren't used to that at the time. And you'll see that remark in the Gospels about the preaching of Jesus as he preached as one who had authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. Because they're just kind of, they're used to the same old, 
lifeless, boring, not like my preaching, but like, you know, just the same old, same old, reading the thing over and over again. It was devoid of life and power because it did not have life nor power and it didn't offer life or power. But along comes this weirdo, this hippie in the hills, right, um, who spoke the word of God and crowds were gathering to hear him preach and be baptized by him. He was extremely effective and extremely popular. And because he was an effective and popular preacher, the people, the people started to do what people tend to do with effective and popular preachers. They started to hold him up higher than they ought. They started to put him on a pedestal. The Bible's word for that is they started to idolize him, right? To think that he was more than he really was. Verse 15 says, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. The people are waiting for Messiah. And all of a sudden, this, this charismatic oddity out in the wilderness starts to preach powerfully, starts to really affect people. Maybe this is what we've been waiting for. Maybe this is the guy. The Apostle John, not John the Baptist, said in the Gospel of John, written by the Apostle John, I didn't, sorry about the names here, but the two different guys, he said about John the Baptist in uh, John 1, 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So John the Baptist, not the light. He's not the Messiah. But the people started to think he was. They started to think that he was more than just a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Instead of a witness to the light that was coming, they started to think that he might be the light himself. Now, if I could be honest with you, and I try to be, uh, this is a struggle for preachers. This is a struggle for pastors everywhere, not just here. When a preacher is effective, people start to make more of him than he really is. Right? And the temptation that preachers face is to think, maybe they're right, you know? Maybe their pastor is just a little bit more. <laughs> a little extra, maybe. A little extra, maybe. Yeah. Well, John, praise God, did not submit to this temptation. And therefore, he gives another example for, for all preachers to emulate. He took the focus off of himself and he pointed people to Jesus. Verse 15 says, as the people were in expectations and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But there is one coming. He who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Again, from the Gospel of John, 
uh, in chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John the Baptist when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, ask him, who are you? He confessed and did, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These are two different perspectives of the same story. When he was questioned whether or not he was the Christ, are you the one that we should expect? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Even today, when the Jews celebrate Passover, they leave a chair open for Elijah to come, to come and join at Passover and sit at the table with them and celebrate with them. But Elijah has come. It's John the Baptist. He came to prepare the way of the Lord, the voice crying out in the wilderness, as Isaiah said. John exercised humility and deference. He pointed away from himself and pointed toward Jesus, saying that his power, his rank, and his baptism were all greater than his own. The one who is coming is greater. And I think, as a preacher, the hardest thing that preachers face, in my view, is accolades. When people say you're doing a good job. No good preacher preaches just to say something. Good preachers preach because there is something to say. The messenger is nothing. The message is everything. So I'll tell you the secret. The greatest compliment that any preacher could ever receive is for those who listen to hear and obey the word of God. You think I'm doing a good job? Great. Don't tell me. Prove it. Obey the word of God. John told the people, look, I'm just baptizing with water. It's just water. The one who you want is still on the way. He's almost here. He's mightier than I could ever be. I'm not even worthy to unbuckle his Birkenstocks. He's the one that you want, not me. I think it's funny that, that John said that about untying sandals and all of the gospel writers included it because that task was even too menial for slaves to do for people, right? Even the slaves that were tasked with washing the feet of guests, they weren't required to actually untie the sandals of those people. That, they, could, they could handle that themselves. John said, he 
He's not even worthy to do that. And if you've ever seen my Birkenstocks, you wouldn't want to be assigned to that task either. Again, from John chapter 1 and verse 15, John the Baptist bore witness about Jesus and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. I think the Gospel of John gives us great, um, a great picture of the spiritual realm of what this, what's taking place here uh, with John the Baptist. Um, John said in Luke 6 and verse 16, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John recognized and pointed out to his hearers that even his baptism was less than that of Jesus. Messiah Jesus' baptism could accomplish what John's baptism was powerless to produce. J.P. Lang wrote, Jesus will, so to speak, wholly immerse you in the Holy Ghost and in the fire. The baptism of the Spirit, which produces renewal, is contrasted with the baptism of water, which can only represent it. The baptism of fire is appointed for the unconverted, as that of the Holy Spirit is for believers. As Simeon had announced that Christ was set for the fall of some and the rising of others, so does John here describe him as coming with a twofold baptism. Some are renovated by his baptism. Others are buried in the fiery baptism of final judgment. John testified that Jesus' rank, his power, his baptism were all greater than his own. He pointed away from himself to Jesus. And that is the constant task of preachers. But deference and humility, John's example, were not the only thing that John had to say in our text. He didn't just point away from himself. He pointed to Jesus. And what is it that he said about him? And first, I just mentioned it. Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Warren Wiersbe wrote, it is, an unfor- it is unfortunate that the term baptism of the Spirit has been divorced from its original New Testament meaning. God has spoken to us in Spirit-given words, which we must not confuse. The baptism of the Spirit occurs at conversion, when the Spirit enters the believing sinner, gives him new life, and makes his body the temple, of the, the temple of God. All believers have experienced this once-for-all baptism, as seen in 1 Corinthians 12:13. Nowhere does the scripture command us to seek this baptism because we have already experienced it and need not be repeated. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a separate post-conversion thing. Well, I come to faith in Jesus and I'm just... I'm working towards this baptism of the Spirit thing. That's not how Scripture represents it at all. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are immersed in the Holy Spirit when we put our trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. It doesn't mean you glow in the dark. It doesn't mean you walk on water. It doesn't mean you can speak in tongues. It doesn't mean you can heal the sick. It doesn't mean you can raise the dead. It does mean that the Almighty God lives inside of you. By his Holy Spirit. John Calvin also wrote, 
to men has been committed nothing more than the administration of an outward and visible sign. The reality dwells with Christ alone. He's talking about baptism. The baptism of the Spirit, which produces renewal, being born again, again, happens at the point of faith in Jesus Christ. When we baptize a new believer, it's merely an outward representation of this already happened inward occurrence. The water does not wash away sin. It's the blood of Christ that washes away our sin and makes us clean. There's a lot of confusion about baptism. The word of God could not be more clear. We just need to read it. The second baptism that John mentions is the baptism of fire. This is a lot less fun. I used to think about this incorrectly. I used to think that this was, was a refining fire for the believer. Right? He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's going to like, purify you from your impurities. right? Like uh, refiner's fire. We sing that song. But after examining the context here, it is actually something very, very different. As I already quoted from J.P. Lang, the baptism of fire is appointed for the unconverted, as that of the Holy Spirit is for believers. As Simeon had announced that Christ was set for the fall of some and the rising of others, so does John here describe him as coming with a twofold baptism. Some are renovated by his baptism. Others are buried in the fiery baptism of final judgment. This is probably the most popular topic in the church today to talk about judgment. How often in the course of a day do you hear people say, don't judge me, but I like to kick puppies. Don't judge me. You shall not judge, right? You're not supposed to be judgmental. Well, yes and no. To judge those apart from Christ? No, not our, not our job. To judge those who claim Christ? Totally our job. To help. Not to throw them into the fire, but to help follow Christ better. Let go of those things that are holding you back, that are holding you down. You're not deciding someone is bad. We already are, Okay. That's what the Bible says. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us. We are all the same. There is no extra judgment that we could, that we could place on people to make it any worse. The judgment that John talks about in verse 17, talking about Christ, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The older translation is called a thrashing floor, which I think is much more vivid. Who knows what threshing is, but we all know what thrashing is. This is a picture of the practice of separating wheat from chaff. Right? Individual kernels of wheat at the end of the stalk are, are surrounded by this light and fluffy, useless stuff called chaff. You've seen wheat before. It's all the little wispy things. And after treading out the grain on the thrashing floor, where an ox would walk around and literally tread down 
all of the grain and, and separate all of these things, or people would actually take bundles of it and thrash it onto the floor so that it would separate the stalks and the kernels and the chaff. The farmers would take their winnowing fork, a shovel, and throw it up in the air, and the breeze would blow that light and fluffy, useless stuff away, and the kernels of wheat would fall to the floor. And then they could gather up all of the wheat and put it in the barn, all the kernels of wheat, put it into the barn. But what do you do with all the useless chaff? You burn it. This is the picture of the coming judgment of Christ. This is the bad news. The useless chaff is going to be burned up. The kernels of wheat are going to be gathered into the barn. We call the barn heaven. We mean God's eternal kingdom, the new heaven and new earth that he is preparing for his church, his bride. And that chaff is going to be destroyed in eternal judgment. In this picture, all of those kernels of wheat are those who put their trust in Jesus. And the chaff is all those who reject him. There are only two kinds of people. Those that accept Christ and trust him and those that reject him. There is no middle ground. When judgment day comes, there is no third option. People either accept Christ for who he is, who he said he is, accept his sacrifice was for them, or they reject that. And you've all heard the, the excuses. Well, I'm a spiritual person. That's okay for you, not for me. That's your truth, not my truth. Those are not going to stand. The question that every person must answer, including us, am I wheat or am I chaff? Do I belong to Christ or do I belong to myself? There's one way to get gathered into the barn, and that is through faith in Jesus. I hate that the world turns this into some kind of bad thing. Like, you just don't like the way I live. You don't like the way I sin. Or, or you just think I'm bad. And that's what this whole Jesus thing is about. This is the best news that we could possibly share with anyone. This is better than saving them from a burning building. This is good news. And when you get all cranky-faced like I have been all morning, maybe it doesn't come off that way. But this is God's great love for us, that he gave his life. He sacrificed himself for us. And we focus on, you just told me that I, I needed to be sacrificed for Will you forget that? God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son that all you need to do is believe in him, trust in him, and you will not 
you won't be chaff. You will not perish eternally, but you will have eternal life. And get to be part of this kooky clan. Maybe that isn't a good word. <laughs> it's fitting. You have to answer the question, have I trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin? Have I received the Holy Spirit or have I rejected him? It wasn't like a serious eternal rejection. It's just like, I'm not ready today. Maybe I'll, I got some stuff I got to do first. Let me just take care of some things. He's not ready for me yet. I'm not ready for him. I got to get my act cleaned up before I can start going to church. I'm not, uh, I'm not a churchy kind of person. Look around. Are you rejecting him? Are, and if you are, you stand waiting for the baptism of fire. That is eternal judgment. That's bad news. That's what makes the good news so good. There is no third option. We either trust in Jesus Christ or we reject him. And I beg you, please, trust in Christ. Trust in Jesus. And with John, I say to you, repent of your sin, for Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you have given us all the privilege of being preachers of your gospel. I pray that that would be a responsibility we would all take seriously. It is a blessing and not a curse. Thank you for the good news that we have to share. Thank you that you have renovated our lives by your Holy Spirit. We pray that that renovation would be evidence of your love and not um, condemnation. I pray that you would give us the boldness to take the opportunity to share your love with our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, everybody. Give us the courage to share the good news. Remove the fear that keeps us quiet. And may people come to faith in you as a result and be counted as kernels of wheat gathered into your barn to be with you for eternity. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890. 